1: Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
2: Welcome everybody, Eddie Trunk here with you, and it is time for your weekly edition of rock interviews and talk and news and whatever else I can bring to you here on the Eddie Trunk podcast, which comes to you from podcastone.com and of course is also available on iTunes and is available new to you every Thursday. That is when our new episodes post. I thank you for downloading, I thank you for streaming, I thank you for, uh, listening and supporting the podcast, you know we love to bring it to you free. And how we do that is by making sure that you guys support our sponsors. That's how you can help in that effort. You go to podcastone.com, you find all the great sponsors of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And because of them, I can bring you this podcast each week with limited ads at no additional cost to you. So if you heard a sponsor that you want to try out or forgot a sponsor and want to see a list of them, You can access them by clicking on the killer deals button at podcast, one.com and visiting the Eddie trunk podcast page. We only approve sponsors that make sense for my audience. And each of my sponsors are listed there with the banners linked to the promotional deal and the promos listed by the brands, everything you need easily accessible in one place. So thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to all of you for supporting them. And of course, we remind you that the Eddie Trunk Podcast is also a participant in the Amazon Associates program. That's an affiliate advertising program designed to provide a means for me to earn fees by linking to Amazon.com and their affiliated sites. So please link to Amazon through PodcastOne.com on the Eddie Trunk Podcast page. Appreciate you doing all that stuff, helping out and keeping the podcast free. So as we get into it, We have a rarity on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. We have a triple header, my friends. Three interviews to bring you this week. They're both, all three actually, on a little bit of the short side, but all three very compelling. We'll start with Nancy Wilson of Heart. This interview was conducted about a week ago, and as usual, the great majority of my interviews come from my daily radio show on SiriusXM. Channel 106 volume. You can hear that show live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, Monday to Friday on Channel 106. And the show also replays each night 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. And you can also get it on demand on the SiriusXM app. So some of the interviews, if not all, come to you from that radio show. Appreciate you guys checking that out. And uh, if you have SiriusXM, you can interact. You can call in. And enjoy some of the great interviews coming to you through that outlet. But some of the best of those interviews, like I said, will turn up here. And, and I had three recently that were really interesting. None of them were as long as I would have liked to them for them to have been because of time constraints. But I think they were all very much worth bringing to you this week. We start with Nancy Wilson of Heart and i think this this interview is really interesting and i'm i got to be i got to be honest with you i was kind of surprised that this interview didn't make a little bit more news than it did a lot of the interviews i do and whenever there's the the, the slightest thing in them that is somewhat uh controversial or juicy and gossipy usually pop up and make the news uh, make music news all over the world this one i thought had a lot of Reading between the lines in it, and I don't, I don't know. I it just didn't seem like it got all that much traction. Maybe people will be interested in it, hearing it once again on the podcast. But Nancy Wilson has started a new band called Roadcase Royale, and it is making its debut, uh, its live debut, I believe, this weekend in Los Angeles. There's a great charity event, Rock Against MS put together by my friend and publicist Nancy sale. And there's a bunch of great artists. It's at the LA theater. It's happening. I'd pretty sure this Saturday and Jerry Cantrell and Richie Kotzen and Nancy Wilson's new band and a bunch of artists are performing at it. So if you're in the LA area, by all means, go check it out. But anyway, uh, Nancy is going to be debuting her band. So she called into my show to talk about this new band called road case Royale. Now, I did not know prior to doing this interview that apparently there are some issues between her and her sister. Because Ann Wilson is currently out on the road doing her own band, basically a solo thing playing heart songs. And if you hear in this interview, when I ask Nancy, because this is really, in a lot of ways, the first time Nancy Wilson and Ann Wilson have really separated since Heart formed. They really have always stayed together. Even when they did bands outside of Heart, they always still did them as a unit, like the Love Mongers and things like that. So I I started to think about it. I'm like, wow, this is really a, a big change here. I guess these guys, after playing together like 40-plus years, decided they want to try to do some different stuff, which you can understand. But when you hear this interview with Nancy, you'll realize there might be a little bit more going on. There's actually a quote in it where I ask her if there's a future for heart and she answers, and you'll hear it in a few minutes, something to the effect of, well, I guess only my sister Anne's hairdresser knows for sure. So I was very surprised because, uh, you know, and we talk about it a little bit that it, there was some, certainly some perceived tension there and it, it gave me a whole new perspective on this interview, which is why I wanted to bring it to you as soon as possible here on the podcast. So after I did this interview, I hunted around a little bit. And when I said on the air that it, it had seemed like there were some issues, I, I looked further and I found not only on Hart's Wikipedia page, but also in the New York Daily News newspaper that apparently there was an issue on the last Hart tour last summer between Ann Wilson's husband and Nancy Wilson's kids that resulted in Ann Wilson's husband being arrested. And this was in the legitimate news. I don't know how I missed it when it originally happened, but it is out there and there was a domestic issue that went down. So, knowing that, (laughs) I mean, I I, I don't mean to laugh about it, but it adds a whole different layer to this because the articles that I read said that they did, in fact, finish the tour. But you would imagine okay, they put their heads down and finished the tour, but there could be some residual fallout, as you would imagine, from that. And uh, needless to say, some wounds that need to be healed on a lot of different levels. so i I would assume I'm I'm making an assumption, but one would assume that if you had a falling out to that degree be, with your sister and your sister's husband, who you uh, have accusations of um of hurting your children or hitting your children, it's something to do with with the the article that I read said the kids uh, allegedly left the door open to a trailer and aunt's husband. Uh, you know, was upset with the kids and allegedly hit them or something like that. So there was a lawsuit, there was an arrest or I don't know if there was a lawsuit, but there was an arrest. And so I, it's, it's, there was a whole layer to this that I didn't know about. And uh, that part of it does not come up in the interview because I really didn't learn about it till after the interview was done. But in hearing the interview, you can hear that there's clearly some division here between the Wilson sisters and You hope this can all get resolved and you hope, as Nancy says in the interview, that she hopes they can do what she calls a victory lap, which also kind of alludes to possibly being more of a farewell sort of thing. So I think it's a real interesting interview and a lot to read between the lines and and also very telling that Nancy Wilson's band that she's going out with features two or three current members of Heart. And Anne is out there playing Heart songs with the solo band. So. We hear so much about, for whatever reason, these divisions and two versions of the same band and all that. We may very well be seeing that happening right now with Hart, but maybe on a much more low-key, out-of-the-spotlight level. See what you think of it? Have a listen. Make your own conclusions. Nancy Wilson up first on the podcast. That'll be followed by Bob Ezrin, legendary record producer. And Bob called in to talk about the anniversary of the KISS album Destroyer, which is now 41 years old. It was a good excuse to get Bob Ezrin and talk to him for the first time ever. A brief conversation, but people loved this that actually heard it live, and I want to bring that to you as well. And then we'll wrap up with Dave Menichetti of Y&T, one of my favorite guitar players and singers. Y&T just on a horrendous run the last five years, Three of the four original members of y and have now passed away, Dave Menichetti being the lone original member still alive. Joey Alves, the band's rhythm guitarist, passed away recently, so we will talk with Dave Menichetti about the loss of Joey Alves and how he is now the last man standing from the original lineup. That'll be our third and final of our triple header interview on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. So let's get right into it. Without further ado, you know the deal. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Eddie Trunk. EddieTrunk.com is the website. Music news, my appearances, my blogs, merch store, books, everything is there on the site. M3 coming up, Rock, Oklahoma coming up, a lot of good stuff. Check all my appearances on that homepage. All right, here we go. Let's uh, let's get our first interview up and running. In just a couple minutes, we'll come back and talk to Nancy Wilson of Heart. That'll be followed by Bob Ezrin. That'll be followed by Dave Manichetti on this week's Loaded Eddie Trunk
1: Podcast. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
2: Hey, so when you guys go on vacation, the last thing you want to worry about is any issues, right? Especially if you're an adventure traveler going to a dangerous location. You know, these are things you don't want to have to dwell about. You don't want to make sure you can go have a good time and uh, not have to think about stuff like that. Did you know that basic safety nets like your platinum credit card or travel insurance they typically don't cover you in any sort of dangerous situations or dangerous locations? possible natural disasters, government coups, things like that. MedJet Assist, they offer the world's most comprehensive memberships available for your health, your safety, and your security when you travel. A MedJet Assist membership picks up where basic safety nets drop off. And that helps you avoid costly fees, up to hundreds of thousands of dollars, and frustrating Fine print restrictions on your medical care or crisis response. Medjet will protect you 150 miles or more from your home, including domestic or international travel. A Medjet Horizon membership also includes travel security and crisis response services for things like political threats, disappearance, hijacking, wrongful detention, personal security detail, and more. The safer you feel, the more you can focus on the moment, especially when you travel. Medjet Assist empowers members to feel safer and more prepared for travel's many possibilities. So pack peace of mind on your next trip. Right now, Medjet is offering our listeners of the Eddie Trunk Podcast a special deal. Receive up to $50 off an annual membership when you go to medjet.com slash impact and enter the code TRUNK, T-R-U-N-K. Annual membership start at $270, and you can save up to $50. That's M-E-D-J-E-T.com forward slash impact, I-M-P-A-C-T, and code word trunk, T-R-U-N-K.
1: Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly 1 million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. And it's coming to Podcast One in just a few weeks. So keep your eyes and ears open for Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
2: Welcome back, Eddie Trunk here with you on this week's edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. First up, we talked to Nancy Wilson of Heart. Nancy called into my radio show on Sirius XM to discuss her new band, Roadcase Royale. And as I mentioned earlier, you can read between the lines definitely uh, some tensions, it seems, in the world of Heart between her and her sister. So let's get into it right now with Nancy Wilson of Heart on the Eddie Trunk Podcast a woman who is celebrating her birthday today. So first and foremost, a very happy birthday to Nancy Wilson. Hi, Nancy.
3: Hey, Eddie. How are you doing?
2: I'm great. Happy birthday to you.
3: Well, thank you. It's so far so good already. And, um, you know, we're going to get the party on tonight. So looking forward what, is to, the, you know.
2: what is the big Nancy Wilson party plans? What, what do you do on your birthday? What do you like to do? <laughs>
3: Um, Well, me and and my family and my extended family and friends are going to go to a really nice dinner, and uh, we might even have some cake or something, so that's really, (laughs) you know, that's really, (laughs) that's off the chart, man.
2: You need to calm down, Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) You need to calm down. You're actually going to have cake on your birthday. I mean, you really got to dial it back. It's like 76 all over again here.
3: Don't even talk about ice cream or anything
2: like that. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate one, you taking. <laughs> I appreciate you one taking day. a few minutes out here to, to talk to us today. You know, before you called in, I was having a conversation with my uh, my audience in your honor of calling in. We were talking about some of um, my audience's favorite female fronted rock acts or or bands rock acts with, with with female presence in it because I was saying. When you look around today, there's it's really great to see there's so many young artists out there and young bands that have female guitar players, female singers. Immediately comes to mind stuff like Hailstorm and The Pretty Reckless and In This Moment. Have you kept up with some of that stuff? I mean, obviously, you were you and Ann were a big influence on them. Do you keep up with that sort of thing?
3: Oh, God, yeah. I love I to see that happening. Um, kind of like, finally, where were you? You know, kind of. Because I guess the 80s was sort of a, it went all pop and corporate there for a while. So that was great music on, you know, in in its own way. But now you see real rock bands coming back with girls in it. And like Alabama Shakes, for example, that's just, she just kicks booty for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. When you guys were starting out, was there a blueprint for you? I mean, you, you and Anne were pioneers in this area. We all know that. But were there people that that you looked upon that really gave you inspiration to get out there and, and have the courage to do it?
3: Well, you know, actually, we most of our inspiration was there weren't that many females out there in rock bands or, that weren't just sort of more ornamental or torchy. And so we, um, we emulated... You know, bands like Zeppelin and, or the Beatles before that, and um, all the great sort of singer-songwriters from Southern California time. And we kind of went everywhere from folk to heavy metal to psychedelic to pop. We were all over the map, but there weren't that many women to emulate.
2: Right. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why, I mean, it's great to see you and people like Lita Ford and Joan Jett and the people that were doing it back in the seventies, still doing it right. and still doing it so well and, and still providing a great influence for some of these younger artists that I'd mentioned.
3: Oh, for sure. We were out with Joan Jett last summer and, you know, she's just better than ever. It was really cool and cheap trick. We had such a good summer tour with those guys.
2: Let's uh let's talk about some stuff that you have going on because it's an interesting time in the in the history of heart and I was thinking about this a little bit before I talked to you I mean in all the decades that that heart has been together to my knowledge, I mean, outside of doing the love love mongers, which you did with Anne, you guys really haven 't taken any time apart from each other to kind of do stuff musically in any great degree. So now we have that exactly going on with Anne out there doing her own shows and you now putting together this new band Roadcase Royale so update us a little bit about what 's going on and why was this the right time in in your musical history to do this
3: well, I guess um you know, you know, Anne's kind of got her own course right now and we I was kind of anticipating that we would do another summer tour with heart, but uh she's got her cap set on something fresh and different and you know, in her words just more relevant to what she wants to try to do next. And so you know, I figured well, now's a good time for me to go and do something different and experiment. And um I'd also you know been be, I became friends with Liv Warfield when she and her band opened for Heart at the Hollywood Bowl two nights last summer and we hit it off so well that we decided let's stay friends let's keep in touch <clears throat> let's try to do something together do some music together so that's the first person I called you know it's like okay Liv well, let's looks like I've got going to gonna have some time on my hands so we got, we got together, and her guitar player, Ryan, both of them are Prince protégés from the new power generation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my three other heart players, my rhythm section, Ben Smith and Dan Rothschild and Chris, joined as a keynote guy. And so the, we have sort of a super group now, and it's been really, really rewarding, and the music's starting to sound really great. We've already released our single, Get Loud, um, sort of as a women's anthem for all of the women's rights um, marches and movements that's happening right now for, you know, really human rights is what it's about. And so, you know, we're just, we're, this is going to be our first gig at the MS, Rock Against MS Benefit Concert on the 5th of March, if I might plug it.
2: Yes, and, please um, do.
3: Yeah, and there's, there's going to be, like, comedians, and a whole bunch of rock people, and Jerry Cantrell, and Mike Inez from Ellison uh, in Chains, and we're going to do some stuff with them, and I think Ringo Starr, a whole bunch of people, so uh, it's going to be, I think, an incredibly fun and beautiful night, because I've heard that L.A. Theater, the historic L.A. Theater is supposed to be stunningly beautiful as well, so it sounds like a good lineup.
2: Yeah, it is. I'm looking at it right now, and, and it's uh, it's something that's put together by an old friend of mine, uh, Nancy Sale, who's a publicist, and it's uh, uh, Rock Against MS. The Benefit concert, again, is March 25th in L.A. at the Los Angeles Theater, and uh, as Nancy just mentioned, her band will be performing for the first time, Roadcase Royale, doing a live show, and you've got Jerry Cantrell, you've got uh, Stephen Adler, Richie Kotzen, Rudy Sarzo, uh, Gilby Clark, just a a great mix of uh, musicians. It should be an amazing night. So very, uh, I wish I didn't live on the East coast. I was just talking to Nancy sale, who this put this all together off the air. And I said, I I wish I wasn't on the East coast. I wish I could be there for this because it's uh, it's very cool. Yeah. And there's some, go ahead. Yep. Yep. And you've got Bill Burr and uh, Craig gas hosting. Those are the two comedians hosting. So it should be a great night.
3: I know this is going to be really good. Looking forward to it, for sure.
2: So how much music have you made with Roadcase Royale? You, you've released the one song, but do you have a, a full record? Are you working towards that? What's the plan?
3: We've, um, we've recorded and mastered seven songs, and then you know we're kind of rolling them out. We're probably going to do a box of um, rarities with the EP in it, where you can only get it for a limited time with some swag and stuff like that. Um, but we're, we have a couple of heart songs we want to do, and we also have about five new songs we want to finish. And so we've been actually working pretty fast and furious and having a good time doing it.
2: And how is it, how does it feel for you to, to put a band like this together and kind of, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I don't, I don't know of much stuff you've done outside of the. The, the heart nest, so to speak, aside, apart from your sister. And you, of course, have members of heart in Roadcase Royale as well. But for you, at this point in your life, how does it feel to kind of go out and venture out with something new on your own without Anne at this point?
3: Well, it actually feels really rewarding. I feel, um, you know, I feel like I can step up and do more singing and uh, a little more, you know, of the front person thing on guitar with Ryan Adams, Ryan, Ryan Waters, not Ryan Adams. <laughs> and, um, but I wish you know Ryan Adams would also be in the band. But uh, <laughs> it's really a good feeling for me because I feel really, I've done a lot of other projects like score music for movies. And I did a, a solo project called um, Nancy Wilson, Live at McCabe's Guitar Shop, way back when. You know, I was staying home while Ann went out as an, an, another iteration of Ann Wilson, Heart featuring Ann Wilson at the time. Now she's calling it Ann Wilson of Heart. (laughs) So, you know, she took the name, she took the logo, you know, she went running off with those things. But I'm happy to kind of start from square one and get something fresh and something really inspiring and different. And this is it. I'm really happy about it and um, excited to keep doing it.
2: You know, I'm sure that there's a segment of Heart fans and just looking at the Heart website, I think it's extremely um, rare to look at it and hit the button that says upcoming tour dates and see there are no dates listed. I, and I'm sure that that coupled with the fact that you guys are both going in different directions here has probably got some Heart some of your hardcore Heart fans a little bit concerned. Um, anything you could say to them as far as what the future may look like between you and Anne going out again is hard? I mean, is that, is, is it a plan to come back together at some point or, or, you know, where do you see this all going?
3: You know, I was, um, I'm, you know, I guess only Anne's hairdresser knows that for sure. <laughs> because, I mean, I've, I was ready to go out, like I said, um, this summer and do festivals and do Europe. Um, she's got another idea, so I can't read her mind and tell you that the answer to that question. But uh, that's what I'm hoping that we could do. Um, right now, Hart, you know, the last lineup we went out with was just the most satisfying, kick-ass lineup of musicians I've ever played with. You know, and three um, half of those are still in Road Case Royale right now, so. You know, I'm happy with this band, and I hope to, you know, be faced with the challenge of figuring out what Heart's going to do next, if, if Heart can do something next. I want it to be, you know, I want it to be there like the fans do, and, and I apologize to the fans if there's a lot of confusion for a little bit right now, but I can't even answer. So <laughs> let's keep our fingers crossed.
2: So you're you're rooting for it, but it seems like it's a bit of a um, a bit of a question mark even for you as to how this is all going to sort of wind up.
3: Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And you know, we're hoping for the best. Heart's a great band; it means a lot to a lot of people. Um, our fans are just diehard and true blue, so it would be nice if we had a victory lap uh, with with Heart another maybe next summer. Um, I still really would like to get to the festivals and get to Europe with heart. So, you know, it's out there. I'm putting it out there. I just hope the universe will bring it back.
2: And when you say a victory lap, do you see sort of, I mean, you guys have been doing this for, for decades, everybody knows, and, and still do it so well, but but do you see if if Hart were to come back together? We, we see a lot of bands that started at the same time as you guys starting to do exactly that, announce sort of a victory lap, a farewell, that sort of thing. So if the band were to come back together, w- would that be your desire to kind of do it as a, as a farewell sort of final thing? Well, I'm not
3: thinking it. That- of it in that sort of a final you know such such a final idea by victory lap i just mean you know taking a nice turn around the field and sort of being a show off about it and you know that a victory lap could go more than one summer you just have to see where where you can take it you know if we could get into big festivals um, i mean that's one of the things we never got to do that we've hardly been able to do since actually the, you know, late seventies and mid middle eighties, we were on in really big situations then, like sporting event type rock shows, you know, but we we were ready to do that and we we're capable of doing it. So plus Europe, we should we should have done Europe years ago. We went to the Royal Albert Hall and made a DVD with that uh, last year, which was really well received and all the promoters over there said when are you coming back we can you know we could get you in all the arenas and so kind of hoping for that kind of a scenario for the next year or two after this you know see where it gets see where how far we could take it
2: one more one more thing nancy on heart and then i won't keep you much longer i appreciate your time what are your thoughts about the last record you guys did, Beautiful Broken? Because I, I got to tell you, I was a fan of the records that you guys, you, you re-recorded some songs from a certain era of the band that I actually was a fan of around the time of Passion Works. And I mean, I I always loved, Cities Burning was, and that riff was always one of my favorite heart songs ever. And I know you did a, a new version of that. Did you have fun making that record? Was that a good experience for you? Yeah, it
0: certainly
3: was. There was some... Um there was an idea put in front of of us to, if there were some album cuts that we ever wanted to redo plus a few new songs, you know, would we be interested in doing it that way? And I was like, by all means, there were some beautiful gems along the way that I thought I felt would be so fantastic to rediscover and um, redesign a little bit. And, I was completely happy with that album and especially some of those tracks that we were able to get, um, you know, Paul Buckmaster's Real String Parts on. And, you know, that was really a dream come true album for for me and, and Dan Rothschild, who produced it with me. And, uh, and yeah, James Hetfield came and sang on it for us on the beautiful Broken song, the title track. yeah, And, you know, this... Things just fell in place in such a natural, great way for that album, and and it's real good on vinyl, for sure.
2: Yeah, and I'll tell you because I stuff like Passion Works and Private Audition in that period of time, I thought you know it was kind of an interesting period for the band, and I thought some of that material was a little bit overlooked. I remember with Passion Works, I was a huge fan of that record. I remember how How Can I Refuse was always on on MTV back in those days, kind of like just before you you guys really came back big with What About Love and all that. But I was glad that that material. Johnny Moon, songs like that got a chance to get revisited in some way because I think in certain aspects it was a little bit overlooked when it first came out.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I thought that too and part of the thing was the digital sound of the time was switching over from analog to more digital sound and, you know, sort of that solid state sounding thing <laughs> and nowadays you have digital that sounds more analog again. You know, they finally perfected it back to a better sound. But those those records didn't they, they were cool songs. a lot of those songs were great, but they just they sounded a little hard at production value wise and so especially another great thing for me to be able to warm those things up you know right. <laughs>
2: Well, Nancy, uh, I appreciate the time. The band, again, is called Roadcase Royale, and they make their live debut March 25th in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Theater for a great cause, the fifth annual Rock Against MS Benefit concert. Jerry Cantrell, uh, Stephen Adler, uh, Doug Pinnock, the list goes on and on. A ton of great artists, so get on out there and support this great cause. And then is the plan to put out more music from, I would imagine the plan is to put out more songs and to, to take this band out? fully out on tour on the road? Is that what you ultimately want to do?
3: Um, yes, it is. We're 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 looking at dates in um, April. So we're just, this is our first, you know, shorter. This will be like a 40-minute 40, 40 set or something. But we're adding and adding, and we're preparing and buffing out a set to take on the road. And um, we're, you know, we're just excited and ready. So it's great.
2: And for the Heart fans out there, you're, you're, I'm assuming you're doing Heart material with the band as well, right?
3: Oh uh, yeah, I was gonna do um, these dreams, and I think uh, I really want to hear Liv Warfield sing "Crazy on You" in a big way. And besides that, I gotta always do the kick, right? It's right. <laughs> the required rock and roll moment. So.
2: You got to do the kick, absolutely. The, it would yeah. not be the same without the kick. Well, that's right it wouldn't sound the same or look the same without the kick right Well listen Nancy I can't thank you enough for for the time and and again happy birthday to you and and enjoy the cake that's and all the crazy so all the craziness you're gonna get into tonight and uh and when you have more going with more when you have more going with this band and you want to come in I'd, I'd love to have you on the show and sit in and play music from the band and and whatever you want to do hopefully we can do that somewhere down the line.
3: Oh, thank you so much. We'd be real happy to do that. Just say the word. We'll
2: be there. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you right. again, right. and uh, and everybody keep an eye out for Roadcase Royale featuring Nancy Wilson. Have a good day, Nancy. Thank you. Okay. You
3: too. Bye-bye,
2: Eddie. Bye. Well, make of that what you will. My thanks to Nancy Wilson of Heart for joining me on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Much appreciated, and uh, best of luck to her with her new band, Roadcase Royale. and. We'll see if Hart should see the light of day coming again anytime soon. It's an interesting time, and I think there's a lot to digest and sort of read between the lines there in that interview. All right, we have to uh, take a break. We'll come back. Interview number two of three. You don't want to miss this. the legendary Bob Ezrin coming up. This is the
1: Eddie Trunk Podcast. In order to feel
2: comfortable that you're getting a fair price, you need pricing context, information that empowers you to feel confident. With True Car, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want And now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a true car certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. TrueCar customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with TrueCar certified dealers. And TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states.
1: The Eddie Trunk Podcast.
2: Welcome back, everybody. It's Eddie Trunk here on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast, a triple header, three big interviews. We just heard from Nancy Wilson, and now we turn our attention to a guy that I wanted to have on my show for so long And about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, it was the 41st anniversary of the classic Kiss album, Destroyer. So I took a shot, reached out to him, see if he had any time to join me and say a few words. And to my great surprise, he did. And I was able to get Bob Ezrin on the phone to talk a little bit. At the time I spoke to Bob, he was waiting for Alice Cooper to show up. He's working on Alice Cooper's new record. He just produced the new Deep Purple record. Um, Bob Ezrin, well, to read his resume, I mean, it's unbelievable from classic Alice Cooper to Pink Floyd, the wall and on and on and on. Needless to say, uh, I am working and hoping to be able to have a more in-depth interview with Bob sometime in the very near future, but he shares some great stories with us about the making of Kiss Destroyer and a couple other things as well. So I am greatly honored to welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast for you to listen to right now from my Sirius XM radio show, which you hear daily on Channel 106 Volume, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, replaying 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, the legendary Bob Ezrin. Bob, thank you. I know you're busy. I greatly appreciate you taking a few minutes. It's an honor to have you on and talk to you. How are you today?
4: I'm doing great, Eddie. Thanks very much. You said 41 years. I almost fainted. You're right. <laughs>
2: it's 41 years i was seven you were seven when you made destroyer yeah
4: i was seven when i made that record
2: yeah very precocious well you know i wonder when these landmark records that you made whether they be alice cooper stuff or pink floyd stuff or kiss destroyer when they came come out is do you get a lot of people that remind you and hit you up like you know birth like birthdays of family members or something yeah
4: actually um you know, there's. I, I see the Google alerts. That's the thing. you know, Google alerts for all these artists and stuff. So I'm i kind of get inundated on these birthdays. But um, I, you know, I'm a busy guy, so I don't pay a lot of attention.
2: What but are you working? You
4: got true to me because you sent an email.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and I've I've mentioned to you, uh, Bob, that uh, when you have time, and I know you're busy, I would love to do a whole show with you and talk about your whole career. I know we only have a few minutes today, but before we talk about Destroyer for a minute, what are you working on now? What are you in the studio doing?
4: I'm in the studio with a guy named Alice Cooper. Oh. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a young artist that I'm trying to develop here. <laughs> but under the heading, we, we call this... We call this the "Some Guys Never Learn" sessions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is Alice sitting right there?
4: No. no, he's not. He gets in tonight. I'm actually uh, preparing for him to
2: arrive tonight. Uh-oh. Yeah. Well, please, please send him my best. He's a he's a he's a good friend, and he's a, he's a wonderful man. And uh, and yeah, it's, that's is. great that you're working with him. Is it Hollywood Vampires or Alice Solo?
4: No, this is Alice. This is Alice's next album. We, you know, I can't even remember when we put out Welcome 2, But it's been a long time. Yeah, And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time on the Vampires. We we had the Hall of Fame. We had a bunch of stuff going on that sort of prevented us from concentrating on a new Alice record. So uh, this one's in a very late stage now. We're just finishing the final vocals on a couple of things and I'm starting to mix and I'm really excited by it. I think it's a great record.
2: And I got to tell you too, Bob, real quick before we change gears and talk about Destroyer for a minute, I was extremely impressed. And I spent some time with Steve Morris and Don Airy lately hearing what they did and what they have coming with this new Deep Purple record, which I know you also worked on. Yes. Yes. That's
4: coming out right away. That I'm really proud of that record. I'm really proud of them. I love working with them. They're, um, you know, the, all of them are virtuosos, everyone is brilliant. Um, they're interesting, they're nice guys, and they're amazing uh, musicians, you know. And Ian Gillen is an amazing, not just an amazing singer, but he's a great actor. Meaning, you know, when he invests himself in a song, he, he puts drama into, into it and, and a kind of an actor's um, commitment and dedication to the character that's singing the song. So every song is like a little playlet on this record. And uh, they're all interesting and slightly twisted people.
2: So, Bob, uh, I'm wondering for you if you could just tell us, like, how did KISS come on your radar? Because Destroyer was the first record that you produced. They had already had three studio records. They were coming off their breakthrough album, which was the live album, Alive. How how aware of them were you prior to working with them? And who reached out to you to get involved?
4: Um, Well... I used to have a listed phone number in Toronto and um, and this kid, this 16 year old kid used to call me at home all the time and tell me about cool things. So.
2: Oh, Bob's phone is
4: crapping out on they us. They need no. you, man. They need you. And I, I had no idea who they were, uh, but then I started to do a little research and I, you know, started listening to their, um, to the albums that they had put out earlier. And, 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 um uh, just by happenstance, like a week later, I was doing an interview at uh, one of the local T V stations in Toronto and as I was going up the stairs to be interviewed, they were coming down the stairs. The KISS guys, full makeup wow. and and full costume. These monsters were lumbering down the stairs. And as they went past me, I turned to them and say, Hi, I'm you know, I'm Bob Ezra. They they knew who I was because of Alice Cooper. And and uh And I just decided to take a shot. I just looked at Paul Stanley and said, are you happy with your records? And he goes, yeah, why? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, you know, if you're ever not, give me a call. And that was that. That was the connection. And um, I can't tell you how long, but it was some months later that I got a call from Bill O'Coin asking if I would meet with the Kiss guys and and, uh, discuss doing the next album. So I went to... I believe it was Ann Arbor, Michigan, to see them play live. They were in an arena playing to, like, 9,000 kids, all 15-year-old pimply-faced boys. And uh, so not only did I see that they were way bigger than I had any idea, but but also because it was only 15-year-old pimply-faced boys, I realized that they could be way bigger still. So – that's where we started from we started with the idea that we should make a record that starts to appeal to a wider audience and and get the uh, get you
2: know get the kiss Army
4: started uh, outside of just being uh, teenage boys and 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 I think we did a good job
2: you know, there was a, there's a lot made of in, in the history of Destroyer as well as how much you kind of ran a boot camp for them and really kind of worked them to become better players and put more into what they were doing in the studio. Who was the guy that surprised you the most with his ability at that point? And who was the guy that you really kind of maybe had to work on the most to really elevate his game? Well, you know, I think...
4: Let me let me explain to you how that sort of worked out. When you when I saw them live, there were moments in their show where they were just playing some amazing stuff, and and they showed themselves to be capable of uh, of doing powerful and interesting and you know and ballsy rock and all that. And then you'd get them into a rehearsal hall or a studio and say, well, give me a great fill here, and Peter Chris would kind of seize up and not when they had to think about it or. When I tried to dis- to explain things in language to them, they kind of got stuck. So we had to stop. We had to develop a common language so they understood what I was talking about. So it was just basic music stuff, and then uh, and then it was my job to push them back up to those, um, you know, push them back up to the to push the push them to their own personal bar. That's what it was. I saw in them the potential to be. To hit the bar here, and I just push them until they got back up to it, so so that they could do it intentionally, not just by accident. And they got to the point by the end of that album that they could do whatever they wanted intentionally. You know, they could push themselves right to the edge of their of their physical capabilities. Peter, Chris blew you know he just blew me away with the the fire and uh, and commitment. You know, he complained all the way, but he did a great job. (laughs) And and um, and Ace, you know, when Ace was on, there's nobody better than Ace just for everything, not just lead, but his feel on rhythm guitar, too. And, you know, and Stanley and and, uh, you know, Paul Stanley and and Gene Simmons are both forces of nature and um, and you know, very focused and and very determined and very hardworking. And Stanley, you know, has one of the greatest voices in rock and roll history. So Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't hard, you know, for me to get great performances out of him. He, you know, his guitar playing came up a notch, I think. And, and Gene was, you know, he always sort of put himself down as a bass player, but I think that he, he not only rose to the occasion on the record, he actually surprised me from time to time with how, um, you know, how inventive and, and powerful the bass was. So there you go. That's a long-winded answer to your short question.
2: No, well, no. I mean, I listen, I appreciate anything that you can give me here. And and I wanted to ask you real quick, too. Uh, obviously, Destroyer had the first ever bonafide hit single from Kiss with something no one yeah. would have expected with Beth. And I'm curious right. what you thought a, 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 and how Beth came into the picture. And was it a tough sell in order to get that song and keep it on the record.
4: No, uh, it wasn't a tough sell to keep it on the record. The song was actually done um, as a political accommodation to, to Peter, you know, that everybody else had material. And so let's just do one song, you know, one of Peter's songs, let's find something. And he brought in this demo of this thing that he had done Um. And uh, with his with uh, a friend of his who had helped him write it, and it was kind of a bouncy, jaunty, but at the same time, kind of infectious song uh, uh, that was was actually Beck B E C K, not not Beth. And uh, and I don't know why, but it resonated with me, and I just asked him if it would be okay if I took it home and, and messed around with it a little bit. I, you know, I was, it was a late night once in my apartment, sitting at my piano as. <laughs> I started playing that figure, and then I started singing the Beth melody to it, slowed down, and it just felt great. So I brought it back in, and I think everybody kind, of, I, you know, my recollection is that they weren't opposed to doing it. But I think what it, I, I, I think the big surprise came when, uh, when the single got flipped and Beth became the, um, you know, became the track that people focused right. on. So, and then I think it was kind of like, oh man, you know, what happened here, but it was great for them. It turned out to be great for them.
2: So much stuff I want to ask you. I know we only have a few minutes here, but, but one thing I always wanted to know, because Destroyer, like so many for me as a kid, it was my gateway record into the world of not only Kiss, but into rock and, and set me on my path to do the things I've done since, but one thing I never knew about the record is what the hell is it at the that last piece at the very end that montage of you know I think it's like a rap from Kiss Alive mixed in with this whole of course you know what it is but but it's untitled and it sits at the end of the record for like a minute and a half what was the idea there does it have a title and and what were you guys going for with that
4: It's actually a uh it's a satanic piece that you <laughs> play backwards and still, I don't know we were just we were just screwing around <laughs> you know we came up with this thing whoops oh that was by the way I'm actually sitting at the piano that that um, I wrote that best piece on but <sighs> um uh you know it was just it was uh, an interesting kind of little soundscape that we played with and uh you know, nobody knew what to do with it, so we did a kind of hidden bonus track. That's what it is. A little hidden, because people, you know, many people would have just stopped the record at the last note. Right. And not noticed it. Back in the day of physical records, right? And not right. noticed it, and just moved on and done stuff. So it was a little bit of a sort of hidden jewel.
2: Was there a title for it? Did you ever have a name for it? I think we it was like Rock and Roll Party or something like
4: that, which I can't okay. Yeah. Do you, do you that's think Bob, finish. as you pointed out, that's 41 years
2: ago, right? It's amazing. Do you think, I can
4: remember anything. Yeah. go ahead.
2: <laughs> do you think destroyer is the best kiss record of all the ones you've heard? I know you're biased because you were a big part of it, but you worked on two others as well, but overall, I mean, it's widely regarded to be their best record as far as studio records. Do you feel that way about it?
4: Uh, it's a pretty good record. I got to say, you know, when we got a chance to remix it, it was um, actually really gratifying for me to go back into those tracks and hear what we had done because I don't really go backwards. I don't really listen to my own stuff after it's finished, you know, um, unless someone forces me to. Uh, but uh, so I hadn't heard it in a long time and, and putting it back on and listening to it, I thought, wow, this is a really good album. So, and every once in a while, I'd be on listening to your show or someone else's and a song would come on and I, for. 20 seconds, I wouldn't know who it was, and I'd go, wow, that sounds amazing, and then, and then it would be Destroyer, you know, something off of Destroyer.
2: Yeah, sonically, so, yeah, it's it. amazing. I
4: think it's a really good album. I don't know if it's the best or the second best, but it's a really good album.
2: Yeah, sonically, it's amazing how well it still stands up as well. Do you have a favorite yeah. track on it?
4: Well, Detroit Rock City, of course. I mean, that's, that's like... You know, that, that that was the overture, the sort of grand introduction to the all the theater and all the other stuff that was on the record. and um, And I think it shows everybody at their very best, everybody. So I'm going to have to go back to work now.
2: Yep, I'm going to let you go. Bob, I appreciate the time tremendously. I know you're busy. Are you still based in Nashville? Yes. Well, one of these days we have a studio in Nashville. When you have a window on your schedule, I'd love to come there and do a full show with you, talk about your whole career. I can't thank you enough for the time. Send my best to Alice, and I look forward to hearing that record as well. Thank you, Bob. You're very welcome, Eddie. See you. Bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Well, thanks to Bob Ezrin. Truly, truly hope that we can get a long interview with him and get through his entire career when time permits, and I'll certainly keep you posted on that. All right, let's do another break. We'll come right back. Our third and final interview of this totally loaded Eddie Trunk podcast this week. Last but certainly not least, from y Dave Menichetti.
1: This is the Eddie Trunk podcast.
2: Hey, so would you guys rather put your money in the bank and earn less than 1%? or be the bank's landlord and be paid over 7%. Of course, money in the bank is safe, while commercial real estate has risks and isn't guaranteed. Rich Uncle's REIT is a real estate investment trust that pools your money with other investors and rents to creditworthy tenants like Walgreens and Chase Bank. This strategy is used by wealthy investors to collect rent and distribute cash to investors each month, and now it's being made available to everyone. Rich Uncle's was started by the chairman of the largest real estate firm in the world, and you get to invest right alongside of them. Go to their website and check out Rich Uncle's REIT, a Reggae Tier Two offering for yourself. Go to richuncles.com. That's richuncles.com, or call eight five five rich
0: uncles rich uncles read is seeking indications of interest concerning its reg a tier two securities offering any indication of interest involves no obligation or commitment of any kind no money or other consideration is being solicited and if sent in response will not be accepted no
4: sales will be made or commitments to purchase accepted until the offering statement is qualified this media outlet is being paid under two thousand dollars by rich uncles for this single message
1: this is the eddie trunk podcast
2: All right, our final interview this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast is with a guy I've known for a very long time. I've been a huge fan of pretty much since the beginning. Amazing guitar player, amazing singer, and I'm talking about Dave Menichetti of y Tragically, a couple weeks ago, the band's rhythm guitarist, Joey Alves, passed away. About six months ago, their original drummer, Leonard Hayes, passed away. About four or five years ago, their original bassist, Phil Kenimore, passed away leaving Dave Menicetti as the last man standing of the original lineup of Y and T very, very sad uh, news to hear this. And as a huge Y and T fan, it was just a huge bummer to hear that all of the guys from the original band with the exception of course of Dave have passed away. So we send our condolences to the Y and T family and Joey Alves and his many fans and family and friends. Dave Menichetti continues to steer the ship Y and T, but obviously it's been a tough road for him with all of this horrible news in recent years. We talk about Joey Alves and talk about exactly that right now with Dave Meniketti on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Dave, I hate to have to keep saying this to you, but condolences, man. I was very sorry to hear this news, as I'm sure you were as well.
5: Yeah. No, it, it, you know, we got to, we got to stop doing this. <laughs> well, I know I did, It's just unbelievable. I mean, we, we did this with Phil when he passed away in 2011. And, and of course, just six months ago, uh, uh, Leonard Hayes passed away. So yeah, this is, uh, it, it wasn't a shock I'll say, because I knew that Joey was ill. And, uh, and for the last couple of weeks, i have been in touch back and forth and, you know this this was just an inevitability that was going to come any day and uh, but of see course I was it, it see still... Dave
2: I I was unaware of that so maybe and I think a lot of the, the this one surprised me and I didn't know Joey all that well but I'd met him a couple times and same you know Phil of course I knew very well and, and Leonard I had some dealings with but a lot of people, at least from my vantage point, I didn't know much about what was going on with Joey. hadn't seen him, didn't know that he was ill. This one took me by really by surprise. So, talk a little bit about what he was dealing with, if you can.
5: Sure. Uh, I mean, number one, Joey, super private guy, and and you know, there were only a few people around him, you know, maybe close friends and and certainly his relatives that knew what was going on with him, but he was very adamant about anybody of his friends that knew about it, just not saying anything. And it, at first it wasn't anything that was life-threatening. I mean, quite frankly, as far as we knew, uh, it was just something that he had, you know, he had some issues with, with uh, colitis. And, uh, you know, if you were to Google that ulcerative colitis, it it can be a real hard thing to live with, but it's not necessarily a life threatening kind of illness with in most instances. So we just figured, you know, just, well, at least I figured that he would just get proper care. They'd give him some medication, tell him to change his diet, do some different lifestyle changes and and maybe he'd be okay, you know, and live with it. And, uh, but it, it, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, and he's been suffering, for certainly at least the last year that I know of, but his sister had mentioned online that that he'd been suffering for two years or so um, with a lot of pain and bleeding and and lots of things like that. And I think he just got to the point where it got so bad for him that he couldn't even leave the house. And the last couple of months, I mean, we had asked him to do some things like uh, there's – you know, was going to be a gig that we were going to do in in honor of Leonard. And, uh, you know, and I asked him to be a part of it. And he's like, I don't know, Dave, I I can't, you know, commit to anything. And that was back in December, uh, you know, because of because of health issues. And so, you know, I've I've been in touch with him about what's going on with him. But uh, it just got worse and worse and, and constant pain and just Absolutely did not want to leave the house. And for the last couple of months, nobody's been really seeing Joey except for just a rare few people.
2: Yeah, I know that is a tough thing to deal with. I'm pretty sure that Mike McCready from Pearl Jam has that condition. I think that's what he has. He's very – he has a foundation about it. He's, he does a lot of fundraising stuff for it as well. And I know that it can be a very difficult thing to deal with. But I, like you said, Dave, I've also heard from a lot of people that as long as it's managed, you can live with it quite well. I wasn't aware that it could right. be that deadly. And you, So he had no other underlying problems that you were aware of? It was really just that because that, that, it's sixty. Three, it's so young, man.
5: It's yeah, it is, and and and. Well, you know, here's the thing: because Joey is also so very secretive and a very proud person, he doesn't want people to know a lot about what's happening with those types of things. And uh, even though he, you know, trusted me and and all, you know, there's a certain face value for him that he's just not comfortable with, you know, uh, sharing with other people. So uh, as far as I know, he only had ulcerative colitis and he was bleeding a lot and, and had issues with that and serious pain. And but the la- but you know, there could have been other things that were going on. That that were happening, and in fact, when he was telling me some of the symptoms just a, just a just a month or so ago, when we were on the Monsters Rock cruise, I was I was texting him back and forth while I was in my room just before we left the 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 dock there, and and uh, and he was saying some other things that he was going into the hospital to be checked for that didn't sound like it was from colitis. So, you know, there may have been some other things that were going on that, that I'll never really know unless his sister decides to share it with me at some point. But um, he just got to the point where he'd had enough. And, and he was telling me and his close friends that, you know, he was ready to leave this earth. And, wow. uh, and, and there was an alternative, potentially, uh, operation that he could have had but it would have meant some, you know, uh, definitely a, a lifestyle change for him, and he just was not going to do that, and and so he basically just, you know, let himself go.
2: So while this was a shock to myself and many many fans, for his family and his close friends, it was something that they that everybody kind of felt was sadly coming.
1: It certainly well, sounds like
5: certainly in the last yeah certainly in the last couple of months. Yeah, in the last couple of months, I mean he had been in and out of the hospital. He his weight in the last two or three weeks had gone down under a hundred pounds. I mean he was in bad shape.
2: Yeah, I saw uh, I and, saw the clip yeah. that you guys put out uh last night I guess on your Facebook or whatever, because and we'll talk about this in a second, but there is a and t documentary coming, although sadly the story keeps changing constantly, uh, not not for good reasons lately. But I saw that clip and I did. I will say this, Dave, the clip you put up, which I'm sure was shot in the last year or so. I didn't recognize him. I mean, he he looked different and he looked really thin and and sort of frail. So when I first saw that clip that you guys put out last night from the doc, I said, okay, I guess he'd been dealing with this.
5: Yeah. Yeah, he's always been a thin guy. uh, But, yeah, he he was definitely looking thinner on that interview. And uh, he had also shaved for that interview, which was interesting because he mostly had been having a beard for the last like 10 or so years on and off. But, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I thought he looked good overall, but, uh, yeah, there's no question that, you know, he's been dealing with this thing for a couple of years and, and it has definitely affected his ability to put weight on and so on and so forth. Like I said, the last couple of months, he basically starved to death, I think, because he, he was not able to keep anything down. I mean, no matter even even water was was making him nauseous. So he, he just got to the point where it, it it just got the best of him.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's really sad. Um, Dave, can we talk a little bit of a second about Joey as a guitar player because? You had made a, a lot of comments. and A lot of people who saw Y&T back in the day when he was in the band always loved his playing. Such a great rhythm guitar player. Obviously, you being the lead guitar player and lead singer, you got the lion's share of the attention in that department with Y&T. But Joey was really a very secret weapon for, for you guys as a band, wasn't he?
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And And I don't say this because he's passed away. This is an absolute fact that he was probably one of the strongest rhythm guitar players that I've ever seen in a rock band. Uh, the, the guy was just a machine. And, and that's how we used to think about him is that, you know, he would get his part. And he was one of these guys where he was very, very, very anal about what he did and how he did it. Once he got his part and he knew it was right. He would play it that way every night, the same exact. I mean, he was just one of those guys that he knew his thing, and, and he was not going to vary from that, not even one second. But he just had this certain attitude about him. In fact, if, if you know the four of us in the band when we first started, all four quite different personalities and also four different styles of musicians you know, as far as what, what we brought to the table when we would write songs and so on and so forth. And I would say that if there was anybody that had the real aggressive attitude that never stopped, it would have been Joey for certain. Uh, he just had that certain thing about, about the way he wrote licks, the, the way he played his guitar, just everything about it. and, and he could just fill the spaces man i mean we we could have done it all with just his rhythm guitar as far as you know just having a full sound in the band and 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 just chunking away i mean typical for for me when i think about him i i think the the intro of hurricane is 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 a typical joey alves kind of thing you know just all down strokes and just really grr, 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 you know i mean that was that was his forte but not only just his forte was that too he would also come up with stuff like the intro of "Rescue Me," and uh, and and the chord pattern be- behind our our one and only instrumental "I'll Cry for You," things like that. So uh, he was just a, a a real amazing guitar player, and like I said in my quote. Yesterday, about him, is that even Ronnie Montrose said that there are rhythm guitar players, and then there's Joey Alves. He's a class of his own. And uh, he meant that in the most complimentary way possible. So he he certainly was a, a, a learned and amazing rhythm guitar player.
2: Yeah, and I, from the, I mean, I saw the band countless times with with joey and the other thing too from a fan standpoint watching him visually he was great i mean he was a ball of energy up there i mean he really he would really like i mean even though his hands were occupied playing it felt kind of like he was reaching off the front of that stage grabbing you by the throat if you didn't get into it he was going to make sure you got into it
5: oh yeah absolutely well you know we used to joke about joey being a groupie in a group (laughs) <laughs> you know, cause he was always, you know, he was one of those guys that when we first met him, he had every magazine, circus magazine, hit parader, Kerrang, you name it. You know, I mean, he, he, he already had uh, a yearly subscription to all that stuff years before we met him and, and he had stuff taped on his wall and he knew everything about every band that was out there playing. I mean, he, we'd come to rehearsal and, and he'd be like our newsfeed, you know, like what happening this week in rock you know he was, he was twitter and, and he was
2: twitter before twitter <laughs>
5: exactly yeah yeah so so he was definitely 100 percent into that and of course with that came the fact that he just had the moves man to go with all of the stuff that he had been seeing other bands doing and 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 admiring from other people so he just had that man he you know that was built into him
2: <laughs> and listen it takes a lot for a guy to kind of be okay occupying that space i mean here he is in a band with you with dave menichetti such a revered rightfully revered regarded highly regarded guitar player you're the front man of the band you're the lead singer as well he seemed very comfortable occupying that space in that sort of supporting role there's not a lot of guys that are, are okay just living in that world of being a rhythm guitar player and he seemed like that really suited him
5: Yeah, that was, but that was perfect for him because Joey never aspired to be a lead guitar player. That was not his thing. And of course, that's kind of rare when you think about it, because especially in those days, everybody wanted to be a lead guitar player, but Joey didn't want to be. He, he was very happy about just laying down the rhythms and, and being a precise rhythm player. That's, that's all he cared about. So really in, in that regard, the two of us were a perfect match for each other. Kind of he like a never Malcolm wanted Young. to do solos.
2: Kind of like a Malcolm yeah. Young, very much for wanting to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's
5: probably the, the best way to, to sort of say it. I, I think he was the Malcolm Young to the Angus kind of thing. And he didn't care about solos. I mean, every once in a while he would say, Hey, Dave, can I take a solo on this part? And I'd say, absolutely. And, you know, he did do a couple of solos on uh, a few of our records over the years. But that was really just sort of secondary to what he was all about.
2: And you know the other thing I was thinking Dave is is uh what what I always found kind of really I mean beyond being a lifelong fan of of t I always thought it was cool that even in the later years where the band did you know Joey wasn't a member of the band for a while Leonard hadn't been a member of the band these guys you know for for a number of years here and there whenever you guys would play even in especially in your your home area, in the Bay Area where you're all from, you would always, Y&T really was, these guys were all members of that Y&T family. I mean, those original members, so many times you would call them up on stage. They'd come out, they'd jam, they'd jump up for a song, whether it was Leonard or whether it was Joey. So it was important to you that even though these guys weren't in the band anymore, that they were always sort of recognized, and I always thought that was really cool. And when was the last time you played with Joey?
5: Well, sadly, the last time I played with Joey was also the last time I played with Leonard. And they both jumped up on stage um, a, almost a year ago. Well, no, probably about 10 months ago when we played the Fillmore in San Francisco. And uh, that's our yearly Fillmore play, which is right around March or April every year. And I, th- I think this one was might have been even May. I, I don't remember exactly what the date was. And uh, we sell the place out, and, it, and, and it's just filled with Y&T fans that, are, that have just been fans from either anywhere from, you know, two years into it or 40 years into it. And, and, it's, and it's a great venue to, to, to really have a show at because of all of the classic stuff that the Fillmore is all about. And uh, they both came up to play two songs with the band and Joey stayed on to play a few more afterwards because you know, Joey is like, Oh man, can we play this? And can we play that? Can we do this? Can we do that? It's like, hell yes. Joey, if you want to play, let's do it. And, uh, you know, he was always excited to come up and jam with the band and, and he would do it every once in a while, not, not every year necessarily, but maybe every other year or, you know, it just depended on, on what the show was At any time that he emailed me or, or Leonard about playing, I was more than happy to have them come up. The fans love seeing these guys. I love seeing these guys. I love playing with them. I mean, we were all family and, and even when, you know, we had to do something that was, unfortunate, like, you know, let somebody go after they got over the the initial shock. It it, it was still, Hey man, we love each other. You know, we're, we're, we went through the hardest times together and some of the best times and, and came out the other end. And this is, this is something that a lot of people just don't understand when you spend two decades with somebody and, uh, and, and really, uh, go through life-changing experiences together, that changes you, but that also gives you a bond, and and that was what uh, Joey was saying in the clip that I put up uh, yesterday from from the upcoming documentary, and it, and it's ever so true. So what uh, happens?
2: What happens to this doc now, Dave? This thing, I mean, obviously, when you started it, I mean, these guys were still with us. Thankfully, you got stuff from them for the the film. Uh, where yes. does it go from here, though? Are you gonna? Do you have to continually keep re-editing this in some way? I mean, how are you going to address all this stuff in the documentary?
5: Well, yeah, exactly, and and that's you know an unfortunate part of why the documentary. Well, not why, but I mean, as the documentary has taken more time to put together and, and finalize, all these different changes are happening. So yes, I had to go back and talk about Leonard passing away. And uh, you know, replacing our bass player uh, Brad with 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 Aaron, which happened last year, uh, and and now I'm going to have to go back again and talk about Joey passing away. It, yeah. It's an unfortunate reality, to an ongoing thing. But but we don't want to um, to you know just gloss over that and and say I'm sorry, the documentary's done, you know, but it's not. So they're still editing. So while they're still editing. You know, we're going to go ahead and and make sure that everything is up to
2: date. And the the hey, John, upside, can't talk to that guy. The the upside of you doing this documentary though is that thankfully you have, you you were able to document and get interviews with Leonard and with Joey. I mean, talk about timing. I mean, it's tragic what's happened here, but at least there will be, uh, you know people will be able to see these guys and hear them talking about their incredible contributions to the band and that this was done when it was done that they were able to contribute to it.
5: Right, exactly. And, 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 you know, what's an odd thing is, is the two guys that are putting together this documentary, of course, they're living with this material every single day as they're trying frantically to get this thing done by summertime. And uh, they're, they're, constantly seeing joey and they're constantly seeing leonard on the screen as they're editing all these parts and then as reality sets in and these guys pass away or anything else happens it's just surrealistic if you can imagine and and it was just strange timing that um they had sent me another clip to look at just a couple of days ago and I'd put it off because I, I, I just wasn't in the mood for watching it at the, the, the night that they sent it. So I waited till the next day. Well, the next day was Joey passing away. So the first thing, when I look at this clip and Joey's in it and, and it was a shock to the system, to be honest with you, to just, you know, see his face talking about Y and T what, what after this had just happened and, you know, it's, but the, the great thing is, is that these guys will be, you know, mortal immortalizer or whatever, immorial, you know, whatever the, the case may be, you, they're, they're there, they're in the documentary. They're a very good part of it because a lot of what happens in Y&T that was important was the early years as far as the development and how we started growing as a oh, band yeah. and, and they were part of
2: that, so yeah. Well, you've got—I mean, their 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 mark is forever in rock history because of the incredible records you made with them, and then of course now having this documentary as this final sort of document. It wasn't—I know that wasn't the intent when it was started, but it's it's great that that it exists. The last thing, yes. Dave, that I got asking—I mean, I—I I mean, this has got—it's got to be a, a sort of a strange, and it, it's the—it's something that I thought of shortly after I saw. That that Joey passed away yesterday is that it kind of got to be surreal for you to think that of of these uh, three other guys that you started this band with that you're the last guy left that they're that they're all gone. Yeah. I mean that had to make a hell of a mark on you. I'm sure when you heard this news.
5: Oh, it did. Yeah, there's no question about that. I, I at first I didn't think too much about it you know, as it was happening this week and I knew that it, there was going to be a moment when Joey was going to pass coming up soon. But then when, when it happened and reality set in, uh, yeah, it was a really, really, really odd feeling. And I'm still feeling it right now. Um, yeah, I mean, to some degree, if I was thinking from the outside looking in and I was just another fan or another rock fan, the Y and T fan or not, and i saw that kind of a thing you're almost like well when's the when's the last shoe going to drop you know when's dave going you know and and of course that's a that's a pretty weird f- you know feeling to have you know that you, you could almost imagine that there's probably guys out there that are thinking well you know <laughs> won't be long now <laughs> uh, god forbid <laughs> but, dave but,
2: god forbid because i got no one else <laughs> to call
5: <laughs> yeah exactly but now that, that you know if i have anything to do with it which i do uh you know yeah that ain't going to happen anytime soon well, yeah, I mean, and I listen feel absolutely fine yeah. yeah
2: and anybody that knows and has seen y and t recently and and knows you knows that not only do you take good care of yourself but when they've seen you play live singing and playing and and everything i mean and i've said this repeatedly long before sadly these guys have been gone you're still very much at the top of your game so i don't think i don't think we have we i think we have many more records and concerts and interviews to do, hopefully on much much more pleasant topics going forward but absolutely i did did want to reach out to you about this because again i mean uh uh, this is unfortunately is the third time in like the last five years we've had to have a conversation like this but i feel uh, not only being such a big fan of of the band and the band's history and, and and all of you guys you know it's important that that these guys get their due and that they get recognized for the work that they did and uh, we hear so many times when very very famous people pass away so much is done about them and tributes and what have you uh, to a lot of people people like leonard hayes people like phil Kenmore, people like joey alves they were just as important i know they were to me as a, as a rock fan so i wanted to make sure that we we recognize joey and i appreciate you taking some time out to do this today
5: Absolutely, man, and and Eddie, thanks again because you know this is important stuff for me. It's important stuff for the YNT fans, and uh, they appreciate the fact that there is a, a, a venue, an avenue for us to talk about the people that meant so much to us over the last forty years. So, I appreciate that. Now, I'm just going to make one more quick little statement. I know you got to go. But, oh no, go uh, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I just uh, say that uh, we're, we're going to Japan uh, in two days. I'm leaving for Japan, and we're going to play two shows over there in Tokyo. Um, we're doing a, a live double CD and a new DVD off of that shoot. And uh, I just the reason I bring that up is because um, when Phil passed away in January of 2011, we left for Japan to do a tour about five days later. And so this is just a really strange coincidence wow. that that we're going to do another tour in Japan, and it's a couple of days after we lost another original member. And I have to say, the Japanese fans were so amazing to us when Phil passed that it was almost like... Uh, Uh, like a memoriam of of sorts at the same time as a celebration and it was it was a good thing spiritually for all of us i think when when we went there and and expressed the feelings coming from the fans and each and each other uh, over the 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 passing of phil i have a feeling it's going to be very much the same about joey so um it's 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 a good thing and and also a, a very strange coincidence
2: well, Dave, listen. Safe travels again. My condolences to you and and the entire Y&T family. And uh, I again, I appreciate a few t- a few minutes. And next time we're going to talk definitely under much much better circumstances. I'm sure, absolutely. And yeah. everybody listening, Y&T is always out there playing, always playing all over the world. Just go to the band's website, which is is it just Y&T Rocks dot com? Which one
5: it's is Rocks dot com? Yeah, we have uh, seventy eight shows this year, and we've only played about eight of them so far. So we got a a lot of playing coming up. A lot of U.S. tour and a lot of European tour coming up.
2: And the band uh, the band sounds as good as ever, so I can attest to that having seen you guys recently. My best to your wife, Jill, and uh, and I'll talk to you soon, Dave. Thank you for the time. All right. Cheers, Eddie. Take care, man. Bye. Well, my thanks to Dave Menichetti for taking some time out to join me on the podcast this week. And again, uh, rest in peace to Joey Alves. Very sad news. Uh, just an awful run in the Y&T camp lately. You know, I... I uh, was hired by ynt to work on their documentary and a couple years ago i went to dave menichetti's house i conducted some interviews with them and at that time both leonard hayes and joey alves were still alive and they are certainly featured prominently in the movie and i'm also going to narrate the film when it's finally done but it seems like the story tragically keeps changing because of all of these tragic tragic uh pieces of news coming out of people passing away from the original lineup of Y and T. So as Dave mentioned, I'm sure that film will be recut in some ways and then I'll go in and do the VO for it. And then we'll finally get to see a documentary on a truly great band. And it's great that the documentary was done at the time it was done because Joey and Leonard and through archival footage, Phil were able to at least be a part of it and their memories and legacies will live on. Just amazing musicians, amazing band Y&T are, and still are. They, they, I still see them live, and with the guys they have in the band now, they're, they're still so good. But uh, truly, truly a sad, sad moment when three of the four original members are now no longer with us. All right, my thanks to Dave Menichetti, my thanks to Bob Ezrin, and my thanks to Nancy Wilson on our three-headed monster edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast this week. We're new every Thursday, podcast1.com and iTunes. Katie Irizarry is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Again, email me, eddie at All my social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Eddie Trunk. And, of course, eddietrunk.com is the website. My blog is The Trunk Report. All my appearances are on the homepage. Many are coming in now. You can email me through the site and uh, get music news and much, much more. It's all there for you on eddietrunk.com. All right, you guys have a great, great week, and I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode. Take care.
1: When it comes to horror,
4: you might know me as a writer, producer, and director. But I also love making people open up. I'm getting together with the most fascinating people in fright filmmaking. I'm going to pick their brains and find out what they know. But if they've got any secrets they're determined to keep, I have ways of making them talk.
1: Download new episodes of Post Mortem with Mick Garris every other Wednesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes.